everyone. This is Nick Castle, better known as The Shake. And you are listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And Greg, I'm right out your window. Weaving in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that has some news for you and you're not going to like it. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're chasing down the ice cream man and getting a vanilla twist as we welcome the Who the Hell is This For podcast to talk the recent Carpenter Fest 3. But before we get in that, let me remind you, we're part of the Boom Howdy podcast network. Boom Howdy. You can find all of our past episodes at boomhowdy.com, or the easiest way to listen in is to simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your cane hole. Multiple ways, multiple ways. <laughs> I'm glad to see it went where it went. Uh, so this episode is actually kicking off. Are the year of 2019. Yes. Which is, I'm, I'm looking forward to 2019. There's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. Oh, yeah. And it's got to be better than 18. <laughs> anything will be better than 2018. And I would like to say that ultimately, if you do want to follow us out on the social media, please, if you're on Twitter, you can see find us at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. But ultimately, I kind of wanted to put out, if you go back to our best of 2018 episode, a, a podcast a resolution, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's always, you know, you hear people talking about buying local, staying local. Well, that's kind of my challenge to our, you know, dozens of listeners out there is in this case, just kind of promoting all the cool stuff we, we have here in Kansas City, yes. just in terms of local identity. And one of those, this particular episode is going to combine two of those magically mm-hmm. uh, again starting off uh, 2019 uh, like, Doug Henning wise like a vanilla twist <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've talked a little bit about um, Screenland mm-hmm. here Screenland Armor Screenland Tapcade uh, Screenland Tapcade's fortune of they were very nice to let us host gracious enough to let us do things and once that's a month our Monday mystery movie night so on our sister podcast Nerds of Nostalgia and at Screenland Armor we've been fortunate to host a number of movies there as well mm-hmm. which is always for us it's a lot of fun yes you know and ultimately we're going to be there one way or the other but in this case it's a chance to kind of hype the film up do a number of different things but ultimately i'd like to think that because of that it's kind of kick-started some really cool stuff here if you are a genre fan in the kansas city area be it screenland tapcade screenland number or of course alamo draft house but i loved and what i really love though is now that we've got a plethora of, <laughs> Would you say it was a plethora of just wonderful genre podcasts here in the that are coming from the Kansas City area? Um, a you know a podcast roll call, if you will. We've got the Media Rewind podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Horrorversary. Yep. Uh, the Horror Pod class. Uh, and then you can go outside of like genre. There's the Taco the Town. Uh, there is the First Issues Club. There's just a number of awesome genre if you're in if you're a nerd of any kind of genre there's something out there and now there's more that are out there for you from kansas city oh yeah there's a cooking local cooking podcast i don't listen to it either well, i know what well, yeah but <laughs> if so if this is your first episode genius is not he's not a podcast listener i however am and another local one that has made its way into my podcast rotation we're lucky enough here to start the year Staying true to our resolution and staying local. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually technically uh, he is one half 
on the, third, actually. Oh, you're right. Yeah. See, I've, I've been off for a while. My math. So we might be up to a quarter now. Prodcast has worked her way into uh, an official member. So, okay, good. So I'm technically, it's ever evolving. It so is. in this case, we'll say officially one third of the Who the Hell Is This For podcast. Please welcome, for the first time here on Nightmare Junkhead, Ty. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm super excited to be a part of this podcast today. Um, if listeners, you aren't familiar with Who the Hell Is This For, every week we take a different movie that we, you know, sometimes a blockbuster, sometimes a deep cut, sometimes it's Fred Claus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we take a movie that uh, that, for whatever reason, we feel like talking about, and we... Our big thing is audience participation. So we always do a weekly Twitter poll of four movies from a specific category to try and see what people want to hear us talk about uh, on our episode each week. Our most recent episode was Krampus, uh, but this next episode we are getting ready to do our year in review of 2018 as a whole, and I cannot wait for that. Are you now? Are you going to be looking at just the movies that you have reviewed yourself uh, that have been through the that are actually on the episodes? No. So we are actually going to look at all 2018 releases since we started kind of in the uh, like final third of the year. Like I think we got started back in August. So there's a lot of good stuff that we missed, and we've been focusing more on stuff that is uh, kind of. Uh, more home release type stuff or th- stuff that's been out for a while. Uh, so getting a chance to look at some of the more recent stuff that's been through the theater circuit is going to be really fun. And we we're really excited because we haven't had much of a chance to do that yet. Well, for those, those of our listeners that want to hear that, where can they follow you out on these social media? Please plug and promote away. So you can find us on Twitter at WTHITFpod. Uh, it took me forever to get that down. I was going to say, it's a good thing you didn't have to put a one or two after that. At this yeah, point. exactly. <laughs> um, so you can find that is our official account for uh, for the show. You can also find us. Uh, I typically use the who the hell is this for show account. Jeff is Mr. Jeff Nor on Twitter and Riley is underscore Riles 23. You can find Prodcath at Prodcath. And you can also find us on SoundCloud by searching who the hell is this for? And it should take you to our page of all of our episodes we've released so far. Excellent. And I'm, like I said, you guys are on my regular rotation. Now I have participated in quite a few of those polls and have appreciated your guys's input. And a lot of this ultimately comes down to you know fall into my rotation is kind of the chemistry and feeling like you could be involved in the conversation mm-hmm. and that's what i really enjoy with the podcast is that level of camaraderie and just having fun with the films so that's that's kind of why we got started and uh how we got started because jeff riley and i all grew up together uh we lived in a small country town right outside wichita our mascot was a piece of farm machinery Wait, was it a like a thresher a or was it a hoe <laughs> we were the hoes, uh, Jeff Riley and I. Uh, but our mascot was the uh, the Heston Swather. A swather? Yes. Is that kind of a scythe? What is uh, a swather? It, it's basically a the large combine. I wish it was. But no, it's a uh, it's a large combine with a face on it. Like maximum overdrive? Uh, kind of. It looks. It kind of looks like a samurai. Ooh. <laughs> is it a Decepticon? Oh, God, I wish. <laughs> That'd be rad. If, you're, if your thing is a far... Okay, so my high school mascot was a sword. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was a saber, right? The 
fuck. If you can, you see, they need to do stuff like with the saber, with the with the uh, samurai farm equipment. Whoa, that's pretty <laughs> rad. I'm not gonna lie. Whoa, I, I'll, po- I'll post this up on Twitter after uh, this episode comes out. So that would inspire familiar, some fear. Oh yeah, dude, that can totally be a Green Goblin knockoff thing. Right? You know what I'm saying? That could be like Maximum Overdrive two. You know, Stephen King, if you ever need a reason to kickstart the Maximum Overdrive (laughs) franchise that is begging to happen, I will absolutely get involved with a Maximum Overdrive reboot. Well, that's what happens when the comet passes over your small town. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Shenanigans and that beastly thing coming after you. It'll scare the hell out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So kind of as you picked up, there wasn't a lot to do around there. So we watched a ton of movies. Um and we, we were big into, like, the cult films. Uh, now, general- where were you getting your films yeah, from? Yeah, that was my question. So, Especially at a small town. Yes. We uh, we were regular attendees at the local family video about 15 minutes away from us. Because we didn't have one in our town. Uh, so it was one of those that had a Little Caesars attached. And Riley and I, we would go, we would find something on the wall pull it down, grab a little Caesars, and then head back home to watch this movie. That sounds That's magical. great. It was so great. And there, this, now, was this the time, though, where it was really kind of hit and miss on the films? Did you have, I, let me ask you this. A lot of mockbusters. Did you have the internet to fall back on as a reference? We did. So we, we were able to research our films, and eventually, um, this was before Netflix streaming. So we weren't able to do that, but we were able to, um, to order stuff from Netflix. Yep. Uh, that, is that kind of ancient now, the snail mail method? Oh, yeah. Is it? You kids today. <laughs> I, I do know. The The only thing I hear, and uh, when I talk about kind of why I started the podcast, I can touch on this other show a little bit more. But I know Mark on uh, A to Z Horror also routinely gets his movies old man style in the mail from, now it's become DVDs.com. Oh, my goodness. The offshoot of Netflix. <laughs> Huh. There's there will always be an audience though for and you know we champion physical media oh, so yeah. I cannot bash that at all. One of one of the best things Riley ever gave me was a copy of Gentleman Broncos on DVD, uh, which was a mainstay for all of us. What is it, um, Gregarious? <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> he actually established his presence in genre cool genre films yeah. early on. And then just made it like cemented it with like uh, what we do in the shadows. Yes. And another yeah. uh, that's a who the hell is this for favorite. We reviewed oh. that one recently. I think it's a favorite of everyone. Like it's hard to not like that movie. You need to be staked in the heart if you don't right. enjoy that film yeah. because you don't have a soul. The oh, beast. If you don't. Im- <laughs> and I will say that. Let me apologize in advance. I'm super sick right now. So I'm going to keep the the uh, a minimum of coughing and sneezing in the mic. <laughs> so my apologies in advance on that. But that to me, the even like the start of that film when he he rises and gives you that little grin, if you're not just in you know charmed by that, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you're just not you don't belong. I'm telling you. I and I think what also I think it gets overlooked, but one of the things that sells you on the type of humor um, is when Deacon is talking about how he got to where he was. He talks about how he was a Nazi vampire. 
And he talks about, I don't know if you know the Nazis lost the war. Like, as if there's a thing people aren't going to be familiar with. And that, that just tells you exactly what you're getting into with that movie. It's it's one of, it was a, a fave from Panic Fest, actually. Absolutely. Which, let's go ahead and again plug, January 25th, the start of the Panic Film Festival at the Screenland Armor. Get Stay your tickets local, now. Indeed. Get your tickets now. And make sure you check us out live on the 25th as well. We are going to have a good time with that. But I guess, um, ultimately, something that... The, the podcast itself you mentioned, just in terms of how it started. Yeah, so um, it's actually really cool that you bring up Panic Fest, because Panic Fest, indirectly, is the reason I started the podcast. Uh, because when, and we'll get into this with my horror origin as well, uh, but when I was really getting into horror and the genre and genre films, and saw I, you guys were doing a live show, and then that do- I dove into the Phantom Podcast Network, uh, rest in peace. Yes. Uh, but I, so I dove into your guys' show and I dove into A to Z Horror. And that, as you were talking about the camaraderie, the, these are just friends who have been talking. I get that from you guys. I get that from A to Z Horror. And I was like, I should start a show with Jeff and Riley. And eventually we got together and we decided to just, let's start talking movies. It's comforting to know our mediocrity right. can inspire exactly and it's almost and dare i say it's one of those like you said it feels like when you want to be involved in the conversation where i'm not gonna lie there are plenty of times listening to your podcast i will talk out loud while walking lola (laughs) which i'm sure freaks people out (laughs) but it's to the power of that and that to me is the thing is the strength you just you and that's the thing you know you talk about things that you enjoy you know that's Mm. the one thing on our podcast for the for the most part we never trash on films right you know anything that we talk about it's going to be an entire episode something we talk about we're gonna something we love doing, and yeah, that's, not, like let me tell you why this is bad. I might every now and then. Well, but, yeah, I can, you know. <laughs> Luis Lasser again. Our apologies <laughs> to the Lasser estate. Um, but no, I guess that's you know, in more. It, it's like I said, it's cool that we've got so many more genre podcasts mm-hmm. coming out of the Kansas City area. And again, a lot of that stems from again the Screenland Armor Alamo Draft yes. House mm-hmm. because of the fact that we get a chance to screen really cool things. And that's actually how technically this episode came about. Because, as we mentioned, you've actually uh, come on Nerds and Nostalgia before, our live podcast. Yes. And we were <laughs> talking at... about the uh, the fateful class of 1984 and Reform oh, School Girls oh. double feature. Pat <laughs> that So that was... Um, problematic? It was problematic, but also that was the first time uh, I was like... So Catherine had started getting involved in the podcast and we... Well, the idea of the podcast, because it didn't exist at the time yet. Uh, but I was like, no, you should, uh, you should come with me to this mystery movie. Oh. If these Double fuckers future. can do it, then... <laughs> I was like, not I, even so much that. It's. Uh, just, I was uh, like, I want you to, I want you to be a part of this uh, and come see these movies with me. And it opened up with Class of 1984, and she looked at me future. halfway through, and she's like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> And in some cases, I take that as a compliment, but others, I also say I my apologies, you know, because that's the, the trick, or I should say the chance you take with a lot of those films yes. from and another time. Another place. And then Reform School uh, Girls. Yes. She actually liked Reform School Girls, Ooh. which I didn't know until recently. Good. She, it, she it, revealed it was, that in a conversation. It was the nice warm shower you needed yes. after the class of 1984. Well, that's what we always joke about, you know. Whenever you do a podcast, that's potentially someone's first episode they're ever going to be exposed to your material. Mm-hmm. And my apologies to anyone that jumped on board with Class of 1984. <laughs> Not that we're a wholesome show on Nerds and Nostalgia or even uh, here on Nightmare Junkhead, but that's just, you know, the, the <laughs> par for the course, if you will. So 
I'm, I'm glad that happened though. Yes. Now we did try it again, uh, and so I brought her to Nerdoween. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then after extra, everything went real yeah. south. <laughs> So refer back to our Halloween hangover episode when we did reveal the lineup of our, that was our fourth Nerdoween. Uh, yep. Oh, goodness. And we did get sleazy with sci-fi. That was the whole Yeah, that gimmick. was the theme. Oh, we... all the timing. It's... Uh, wow. Needless our... to say, has she come back to any of the live shows? She she has not yet. But she, <laughs> right. Was, she was mad at me, though, for... I wouldn't say mad, but I revealed, because uh, I came to uh, Never Too Young to Die. Stargirl! <laughs> and I Oikos. I told her, I was like, okay, so they're screening a John Stamos spy movie from the 80s. And she was like, of course, the one time I don't come, it's something I would want to watch. Uh, I did tell her afterwards, I don't know if you would have enjoyed it. <laughs> Again, the nostalgia glasses we put on, it's very dangerous. I yeah! loved it. <laughs> Phenomenal. And I had never heard of it. Uh, uh, but I had so much fun at that. It's and I am incredibly excited for the next mystery movie night because I, I think I got nailed down. Well, next year we're going all over the board. Yes. We're, we only have all maybe a few examples from the 80s just because we kind of want to explore some other just good genre films out there. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, good genre films, um, especially a bunch of them marathoning them. We talked about Nerdoween. Uh, we were lucky, lucky enough to uh, host the most recent Carpenter Fest here held at the Screenland Armor. And this is where the episode came from. Yes. Because it's so funny because before we get into the lineup itself, I want to make sure that we give enough credit to the one singular thing that made this marathon work. Oh, yeah. And it was the crowd. The crowd was amazing. This was Carpenter diehards and this was first timers and this was dates and this was families and this was... It was fucking intense and wonderful. Because let's face it, sometimes a crowd can either enhance a film that you're at or yes. can also take away from it as well. Oh, yeah. You know, depending. And Phantasm Ravenger. Oh, oh <laughs> the only time. Uh, boo. <laughs> the credits roll. We just hosted it. And I was actually kind of mixed thoughts of it. I thought it kind of had a, um, it right. a Jackie Brown kind of, you know, yeah. dealing with aging kind of thing going on. But the is credits Ravager are, the one with the nunchucks? No, that's part three. Okay. That's red. Okay. Uh, no, yeah. No, this a, is the newest one. But the, so the, oh, that's right. So the movie's mm-hmm. over, right? And it's still like this is supposed to be like the last Phantasm movie. So we're expecting something. It goes off the credits. Like, okay, maybe there's a stinger. Maybe, you know, it's kind of nothing. So there's this, this dead silence. Just And then you hear... Boo! <laughs> I've never heard anybody boo a movie before, and it was the funniest fucking thing. I just doubled over and laughed. I couldn't help myself. It was ridiculous. Because the audience was kind of held in, like, you could tell there were some very mixed reactions from my, not apologetic, but just like, you know what? They, it's not bad. You know, they got the band together again. Right. Got to see, you know, Angus Scrim, But ultimately... I would reveal, this was uh, with Carpenter Fest 3, last year's, they revealed the lineup beforehand. Um, It was Escape from New York, Mm -hmm. Big Trouble in Little China, and They Live. Mm -hmm. And it was a blast. And we were lucky enough, we actually hosted the first two uh, sections of that. Yeah. We handed off to Adam and Eric, which... We probably shouldn't have. They uh, they had been drinking a little. That was but made it epic. Made it epic. Boo. <laughs> but this year's Carpenter Fest remained a secret, 
until the line the lineup when we played them which i think made it that much sweeter especially with the lineup we had oh indeed but i will say i know a few people complained that they really wanted the lineup reveal which i get i right, get because if right. you're going to invest you know an entire evening sitting in the theater but we talk about it all the time though but the communal experience and the yes. communal experience we had with this crowd was amazing. So we started basically listing off everything as we kicked things off because, you know, we try to stay with the social media. And like with every, you know, title reveal, I'd get this, you know, reply back from Ty going, damn, that's a good one. Oh, man, why am I not there right now? <laughs> oh, my God, you ended with that. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, God. And immediately was like he was like, listen. I'd love to talk about those movies, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, of course. And we've been trying to find a reason and excuse. And boom, here we are. So we're ultimately going to talk about the three films from Carpenter Fest. Yes. And I should admit right off the bat that... You're that guy? If you've ever we, seen the movie PCU, yeah. I'm literally wearing the shirt designed by Kyle Strom. Look, again, staying local here of the Carpenter Fest 3 logo. And Ty here has... I've got uh, from actually found this at Alamo. Yep. It's one of their director shirts. It's uh, their riff on the Carpenters, and it's uh, Carpenter <laughs> with the two "They Live" aliens. Why do birds suddenly appear? <laughs> Every time you were near, just. I would love it. The car Carpenter does Carpenters. But they're still missing on a million dollar idea yeah. of the top of oh, yeah. the world of the hologram creation of Buck Flower. Hologram Buck Flower. Like Tupac Shakur. <laughs> but we kicked everything off the first film and I'm glad we kicked and I will say this, the lineup itself was chronological. Mm -hmm. uh, we included two thirds of the Apocalypse, Apocalypse trilogy. trilogy and we kicked off which for me is a film that every time I see it, it gets so much better for me yeah and this was the first time seeing assault on precinct 13 on the big screen it was glorious on the big screen it was wonderful and as you mentioned genius here's the best thing for us was uh, probably three quarters of the crowd were seeing all three films for the first time that's amazing yeah it was wonderful and i'm gonna say this at this point with certain movies i've become what i call now a peripheral watcher where I will actually kind of watch reactions of people on certain scenes, especially with a movie. Like, like Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> There's one scene in particular we even warned people about at the beginning. And then there, for those that were like, for those of you who knew, saw it, you know what I'm talking about, but you're going to give Vanilla Twisted. And so. <laughs> Any fans of The Real Housewives, yep. you need to be warned. Well, I should say this. Let's open this up here, Ty. What was initially um your first experience if you can remember but you know your overall thoughts on assault on precinct 13 so the very first time i watched assault on precinct 13 uh i so that was one of the last carpenter films i dove into which you know weird being so early in his filmography uh but i i saw it was on shutter and i don't think it's on there anymore but i watched it on my phone in an airport shutter shout out <laughs> yes and i like it was one of those experiences like I need to watch this on a TV. I need to watch this bigger uh, because I love I love Carpenter and there's so much you miss on a phone. One with uh, with just the shots and the way everything is set up, but also the music. You don't yeah. get that the way the music adds to it if you're watching on your phone. And so that that was why I was so excited when I saw that I was going to get to have a reason to revisit this one. Since it wasn't on Shutter anymore, I was like, well, I'll pay for it eventually. And now I had a reason to, and I actually watched it this morning while laying in bed uh, recovering post-New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm curious then, and you, 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 because you throw it out here, the first time you saw it was on a phone. Now I know 
I'm an older in- individual here. Right. And I know, obviously, when you're at an airport, you're at a disadvantage yes. right away. And I kudos to you for then ideally wanting to see it. But have you have you kind of experienced multiple movies through your phone by by any chance? Or was that more yeah, just... I So I have watched a, a, a pretty decent number of movies through my phone. And the only time I do it is at an airport or when I've downloaded something to watch on the plane. I have had great experiences with movies that I'm very familiar with, like Jaws. I watch Jaws on my phone, and nice. it's it's one of my all-time favorite movies. It it has a spot on my arm. Uh, so I You're going to need a bigger arm. Yeah, exactly. So far, I have Jaws and Halloween for my two movie nice. arm pieces, and eventually that is going to expand. But so I, Jaws is one of those movies that I can watch with the sound off and know everything that's happening. Uh, but... So that was a great experience. And then I watched The Babadook on my phone on a plane, which was one of the most anxiety-inducing experiences I have ever had because I don't, I don't do planes well. Uh, I, I do not like to depart from solid ground. <laughs> and so I'm watching The Babadook on my phone with headphones in. And if you're not familiar with the Babadook, a good 80% of the audio in that movie is just screaming. (laughs) Yeah, by kids. So you got kids kicking you in the back, and then you got... So you got a whole William Castle experience (laughs) going on there. You got the kids screaming, Yeah, Behind you, kicking your chair and shit. That'd be fucked up. Yeah, it was one of the worst phone movie experiences I've ever had. At least you weren't watching, like, a live or a, like... God, (laughs) <laughs> well, I no, did, I think I did watch Inside on my phone once on a plane too, and I—that oh, was one of those where I'm like, I'm tilting the phone away from the person next to me. <laughs> you, you don't want to end up on a special list somewhere, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, I, I also realized we did not ask or inquire what is your horror origin, uh, Ty, and that's something we always ask first yes, timers. Yes. Again, was it a, a movie, a moment, you know, a book? What was it that got you into? So as, as a young kid, I was, I was always into like the weird movies. Like I was a, I was a Tim Burton kid. I loved Beetlejuice. And then I got, I got older and I would just read Wikipedia articles of descriptions of movie plots that were just super weird. And then, so I, I started getting very into like genre films, not necessarily horror, but genre. And then everything, uh, everything kind of paused because in high school, uh, I think this was like freshman year. I'd have to check when it came out. Uh, some friends and I, we decided to go watch The Strangers in the theaters. Ooh. And my parents were gone that weekend. And so I was in the house alone and I had gone to see The Strangers and came back. And I was that was one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had. So that put a good eight to ten year hold on my horror fandom i was like i can't do it I, anytime i watch i would just i would freak out i'd be up the entire night is tamra home that gave it genuine that gave it genuine because got the headphones on uh, is tamra because yeah. Ch- tamra is very close to ty right there yeah uh, is ty home oh my god that's uh, <laughs> God. I you broke my stride with that. It's hard to recover, but that so that was one of the most terrifying experiences. And then a couple years ago, my friend, uh, big big genre guy, uh, he's actually who got me going out to Screenland, uh, coming to Screenland Tapcade. Uh, very very cool dude, uh, coworker of mine. And he's like, hey, I'm doing a horror movie marathon at my house uh, for Halloween. You should come and check it out. I was like, 
<laughs> I don't know, Are you man. Watching the strangers. Yeah, and so we watched, we watched VHS, took a break with what we do in the shadows, and then wrapped it up with Drag Me to Hell. Very nice. And Drag Very Me nice. to Hell was what I was like. I'm having so much fun with this horror movie. Like I didn't realize horror could be so fun. And so then I and I loved Big Trouble in Little China. So with with kind of the weird grossness of Raimi and the carpenter practical things like that, I was like, I'm, I might like horror again. So I, I went home and I rented the thing and the thing was so like, I was like, my eyes were open. I was like, I am, I am fully back in horror. And then immediately started making plans for the next year for October 31 days of horror. And it was, I was sold from then on. Nice. That's a nice conversion story, if you will, because <laughs> I'll admit it as well. Yeah, The Strangers is still a scary movie, like legitimate. What do you think? Did you see the sequel? I I did see the sequel, and there was I put it off forever. I was like, I I don't know if I want to revisit this because I've only ever I have never rewatched the original Strangers after that experience. Oh wow! I can't blame you. That's... But now I want to because I found out Glenn Howerton's in it, and who I didn't know who that was at the time. <laughs> the fucking Dennis system. <laughs> Is Tamara home? Because that doesn't matter because it's the implication. So <laughs> it does really recolor the, the the revisiting of the film. Tamara, Deandra, whoever broads are in there, just. <laughs> but that's no, good. it's fine. I uh, I did an ocular pat down on the right. guys in the masks. There we go. There we go. <laughs> oh, but it's wonderful how you've kind of had that little that journey at this point. Yeah. So then I did watch Prey at Night, and I had so much fun with it. I was like, this it. Definitely is a tonal departure from the first one. But again, I was like, I'm so glad that I started revisiting these and like giving movies a try like that. Uh, because now like horror is my go-to genre. It's, it's fantastic. Like I dove into the entire Carpenter catalog as soon as I could. Well, and it's funny because you do see that it really is truly a diverse genre. Mm -hmm. There are so many subgenres within it. And it is eye-opening because then there's like the deep cuts in those. There's those standard 101. Mm -hmm. And kind of with Carpenter, you know, there is Carpenter 101. You know, films like The Thing, Halloween. Halloween. Mm -hmm. But what I really liked with Carpenter Fest 3 is a lot of them were deeper cuts. Because you yourself yes. mentioned, even though this is technically, technically it's his second film, mm -hmm. but the first big release... Yes. It's one of the last ones you got to, and I'm the same way. Me too. So did you have did you have any like hype regarding that? Like what were your first impressions with it? So my I, I had no hype going in. Especially after seeing like, it. What was your experience after seeing it on the big screen? Even uh, like or not off off of the phone, I should yes, say. Right. So watching it uh <laughs> watching it on an actual TV with like good sound. I was like, I'm I'm so much more drawn into this because when I watched it on the phone, I was like, oh, well, it's clear this is like an early release. He hasn't quite gotten it all nailed down yet. But then watching it with an actual sound system, you hear the way the music uh, becomes such an integral part of the movie. Mm -hmm. And the, the scene where like all of the gang members are breaking into the the building I thought about what that would be like without music and then just thought about the way the score, it added so much to it. And I mean, that's, that's what Carpenter's known for at this point. Like it's the popular story that nobody thought Halloween was scary until the music was added. Mm -hmm. No, that first, the first time I saw, and again, I was late on this one as well. I uh, just knew it by hype. And you remember seeing the, the 13 shirt precinct 13 on the kid and from dusk till dawn, 
so you know it has its place in the, you know the the popular cult culture and watching it the first time it was magical mm-hmm. it's like why have i not seen this film right why did it take me so long to get there because that when that initial that siege scene mm-hmm. i mean i immediately was like oh my god this is so night of the living dead yeah it's, and not in a bad way, though. No, 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 no. In no. a cool, just old modern, cow- old cowboy, even going back to the old like Rio Bravo and whatnot. Well, and he, he Carpenter, famously says this is his take on Rio Bravo, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you can see it. It's, but I think what got me into this, I was in my twenties, and uh, the Vanilla Twist. I know we joke yeah. all the time, but when I first saw the Vanilla Twist. I was like, wow. Well, the scene this is, is so effective. It, yeah. It's like, it tells you you're dealing with a whole different kind of movie. Exactly. Here. Like, nothing is they just well, a random mop it. They rank up the, the tension so far from those constant shots of the, the Street Thunder gang going mm-hmm. back and forth. Like a shark. And then when that ultimately, so there's peripheral watching that occasionally I'll indulge in. And then there's the, I'm going to get to the side of the theater so I can watch everyone's reactions. And that one played really well. Again, first time people going, oh my God. There was audible gasps when we played and they're like, I'm on Villain Twist. Pew, pew. (gasps) Yeah. And we've always talked about like, if you want to do something kind of crazy in your film, if you kill off a kid, oh, you're going the Stephen King route then. We've Mm -hmm. mentioned that several times on Who the Hell is This For? It's just, if you... If you have the the gumption, I guess, to make that move, the moxie, the moxie, you know that like this is it's gonna be a different kind of film. Yeah, exactly. And it can go horribly wrong. <laughs> Many cases that goes, but in this mm-hmm. case with yes. Carpenter, and being that he is an artist and he has a distinct style, it just basically is that triggering point because ultimately the dad. What's so funny, and you go back to Night of the Living Dead, he almost plays like the original in the original with Barbara. Mm-hmm. Where you know she's in hysterics because half the movie, he yeah. he's catatonic, mm-hmm. and but he's brought that wrath upon the police station, and that's also again the siege element that I love as well. Mm-hmm. There's that initial gunfire scene when the when Street Thunder actually shooting everything out, and it just keeps going. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, did a young John McNaughton see that? <laughs> it was like if we just put this in like you know a jungle. Yeah, boom. you got it. You know what I noticed in this viewing. I it immediately reminded me how influential this movie was to the void. Oh, yes. good lord! So like, especially like, just when the gang members are first appearing and then scurrying and scuttling and then just appearing out of nowhere like that, another John Carpenter staple. I was like, wow, the void really owes a lot. I mean, it's an homage to them. So mm-hmm. like, wow, there's a lot. Well, of the void there. is basically a Carpenter mixtape for mm-hmm. the most. But and, and I love the void. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It might yeah. be light on narrative, but that's okay because you know you're seeing it for the spectacle. No, there's so much that I liked about it, and again, the communal experience, the cast first and foremost, is for me what actually really makes the film work for me because Austin Stoker, um, he's so good, he's mm-hmm. so good in that particular film. Um, ultimately, got a cigarette. Um, <laughs> Napoleon Wilson. I love, I love that recurring line. Yeah. We and I think didn't we mention you could do a drinking game, you know, and just forever yeah, got time. a cigarette. Yeah, and he kind of create. He's the starting point of the anti-hero archetype mm-hmm. that became prominent in almost all of the Carpenter genre films. Yeah, absolutely, and I love the the way his um, and I can't remember the lieutenant's name. Oh, it's a uh, Ethan Bishop. Bishop, Bishop. yes. Uh, so. 
the the way that he develops that camaraderie with uh, Bishop throughout the movie is so like it's phenomenal, and it builds to that final scene with them pushing the sign oh. down the hall, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite Carpenter yes. shots. It's so intense ev- and scary, evocative, and claustrophobic. It's everything that like made Carp like this is such a good thesis statement for John Carpenter and his style. Yes. Just what you can expect in a lot of his films. And it's so, for the fact that it's his technique, I know it's his second film, you know, Dark Star, which it's a fun movie, but you can tell it's kind of a student film. Mm -hmm. But just, I mean, just being so assured, it's incredible. Well, so kind of going back to the vanilla twist scene, uh, (laughs) that scene in general, but there's a beat in that scene that really shows you like you're dealing with an artist because it's when the uh the street thunder guy approaches the ice cream man and takes two fingers and pulls his jaw down and slides the gun in that that was chilling fucking romero man (sighs) just always creepy always Uh bringing always bringing the creep he passed away not too long ago actually yeah a couple of months ago yeah no and that's what's funny is you got kind of again the carpenter archetypes but some of the carpenter players as well Mm -hmm. because he does show Mm -hmm. famously as in escape from new york um the street thunder gains i i'm glad i got to this late in life because if you ever listen to the podcast (laughs) you know i'm terrified of street punks yeah oh yeah Street and, Thunder. And the best part is I was so I was reading the credits today. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh they are credited as Chicano Tough, Mexican Tough. Yep. Like and I was like, oh Greg is gonna just have a field it's day. The United Benetons of like Street Toughs. Yes. They were that's what I actually liked about Street Thunder, is they were very all inclusive. They were yeah, very all inclusive. <laughs> they were all inclusive. We're coming to kick your ass. Oh. Just- <laughs> well, and it's funny because it, I mean it's it's truly one of those films that shows you the scary of like urban sprawl mm-hmm. because they're they're at, like he says we're at a police station this cannot be happening and then when those again the normal and then the crazy cross paths and again mm-hmm. another carpenter stable no real rhyme or reason to it just randomness like, yeah. yep and that's what I liked about it because it's just a it's just a horde. That just came out of nowhere and is coming to fuck you up no matter what you do. And as much as we love, like, um, you know, Lieutenant Bishop and Napoleon Wilson, I don't think enough credit gets to the character of Lee. Oh, hell no. She was the MVP of the goddamn movie. Lee being a badass is an understatement because there's that scene when she gets shot. Yes. She takes it. And just Mm -hmm. stands there and looks at him. Our audience responded in, like, like cheers. It was awesome. Awesome, and that's that whole experience of people reacting well, that visceral yeah. reaction. The shot of her, and I can only imagine it got a similar reaction. But the shot of her sitting on the ground, one-handed, loading the revolver between oh. her legs—that's like you're you're dealing with just an incredibly badass character here. Lori mm-hmm. Zimmer's performance cannot be praised enough. It really, and it also set kind of the archetype for the badass female in yeah. the genre film that doesn't need to be coddled to like she can take care of herself and whoop some ass well something i was thinking about here is like we talk about representation and diversity in horror and well genre since assault on precinct 13 it, it could horror adjacent. adjacent yeah but regardless like carpenter what everybody's making pushes for diversity and inclusion which one i love that but the fact is carpenter was doing this in the 70s yeah and going out of his way to just cast an incredibly diverse cast of characters and it, it wouldn't work if austin stoker wasn't as charismatic and as just earnest in that character mm-hmm. because he himself the character goes through a journey 
of just again experiencing what happened with the uh, the Street Thunder, and it's so funny. We talk the communal experience of what happens in the theater. What I didn't tweet about is about thirty seven minutes in, the screen and everything just went black. Oh God! And I immediately I ran up the side. I was like, oh, this is not good. And what had happened was, unfortunately, someone had touched something they weren't supposed to. But fortunately, again, the staff at Screenland Armor were awesome. Yeah. Within minutes, we were able to get right back to where we were. And we were able to add the nice little anecdote afterwards that we had some guys from Street Thunder up in the projection (laughs) booth. We had to take care of them. But it just actually added to because just the kind of the amount of intensity and everything. Exactly, And it was one of those. And everybody was like, stop. We paused. And then we were like, okay. But once the movie came back in, we were immediately right back into it. It wasn't one of those ones where we were taken out of it like, boo, you yeah. know, went like that. And that's another thing. In a movie like that, if you're taken out of it, even for a brief second, it, would, it. Be, it would be difficult to yeah. get back in with the characters. But with Assault on Precinct 13, we were boom, right back on that ride. If that would have happened during one of the siege scenes, we would have been in trouble. But oh, thankfully, yeah. we you, were kind you of You would have had your own recreation inside right. the theater there. Well, you kind of touched upon it a little bit, um, Ty, but just the, the, what the kind of the Carpenter staple, but the music. Yes. And what that adds to the films. And we talked a little bit about each uh, kind of piece of music before each film. And for me, the main theme of this is kind of like one of his best themes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's cool. You could dance to it almost yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the one I think that doesn't get enough uh, love is this theme. It's called Julie. And... <laughs> It's the one that actually kind of plays when he's kind of driving on his own. Yes. I want to play a little clip from it here. But it's one of those that... We're going to wait a second because there's some synth coming in. And again, don't get me wrong, the the main theme is awesome, but I think that's just adds more layers to mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. that, again, cements it and just made this screening so freaking good. It was a fantastic screening. <laughs> now, um, okay, I gotta, let's see here. I got to make sure that, la- okay, the last shot, obviously, after they've held off the, the that last little re- remnants of Street Thunder, when they're literally just banging off these guys with just whatever they have, mm-hmm. and when there was that just that shot of the smoke clearing, oh, so good, yeah. So it's like legitimately, it's yeah, it was. You look at that and you go, that's legit. That's a good screen. Like that's a shot. Yeah, and that's the cool thing about it. To see, I mean, I I don't not to try to rub salt in the wound over there, <laughs> but seeing it on the big screen like that, that final shot is just like. Wow, and, and that especially was my, in a joint like Screenland Armor. And that was my first time seeing it on the big screen. Me too. And it, I really felt like I saw it, not for the first time, you know, that's always cheesy, but I yeah. really but, did. Yeah, because it really s- added to it. And like I said, the reaction of the crowd made that screening so much better. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about how you can get that same experience at home. No doubt, no doubt. But there's something different when you've got some fresh popcorn and just people legitimately enjoying stuff. Yeah. Cheering. Oh, the cheering was the, that's always the best part for yeah. me. And there were so many moments. And also, you know, what we always try to do when we host is we try to enhance the movies. So like every time they mention, you got to smoke, you can, ha, there it is again. Those <laughs> good. Ideally, it's to enhance and hype it up. So, you know, hopefully we don't you know, annoy anyone because that's the last thing we want to do. But we, we just have fun with this. It's always yeah. a good time. So hopefully it does translate into that. But yeah. 
Assault on Precinct 13 was probably my highlight of the evening. I don't know. It's just that for me, it is. I think the third one was for me. Okay. And we'll, we'll get into that. So final mm-hmm. thoughts on Assault on, 13, Assault on Precinct 13 before we transition to our next film. Uh, all I can say is that, like, I know this was his take on Rio Bravo, and John's always talked about wanting to do a Western. Uh, like, on the Inside Halloween podcast, they uh, they talk about that in an interview. He's like, I never wanted to do horror. I always wanted to do Westerns. I mean, I... I don't know if we're ever going to get another movie from John Carpenter, but if we do, I would love to see a traditional Western mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. by him because it's just like we saw a, such a good understanding of those elements in Assault oh. on Precinct 13. To, so to see it in a actual Western would be amazing. I'm also biased because I just played through Red Dead. Me too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can you see like... If they made a movie of Arthur Morgan's adventures, it would be done by John Carpenter. Because he's an anti-hero. He totally is. Absolutely. And it's funny because we've got... Buck Flower just... Just rebel play on Arthur. (laughs) Well, I don't know about Dutch anymore. This game is going to shit. You know, just sitting there eating beans and things. (laughs) Fucking, that'd be great. That'd be great. That's the expansion, the Carpenter expansion. Oh, my God. You gonna donate to the camp or what? God damn it, we're hungry. You know, just... would, you, would you get Peter Jason as a bartender type? Oh, absolutely, timing, absolutely. He'd be a Pinkerton. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that reference. No, the Pinkertons, the old uh, Wild West. Oh, okay. they were like the CIA back in the day. Ah, see, again, I just need to get back to the other uh, history. You bringing like education now, to this podcast? <laughs> I, I like westerns. I really like westerns. We like, we have to talk about. I mean, because he's done it so many times. Kurt Russell would be in the, this movie if yeah. John Carpenter made a Western. Dutch. Yeah. He would be the perfect Dutch. He would be Dutch. And it's funny. We've got a Western from like Sam Raimi put through. Which is great. Which is wonderful. Yeah. The quick and the dead one. But yeah, like you mentioned, I would love to see a Western not put through a siege, you know. A, Actually. A Western proper. Uh, yeah. And now that I think about it, uh, I just remembered the original screenplay of uh when Bone Tomahawk was being shopped around, was apparently originally supposed to be a John Carpenter joint, but he ended up passing on it due to working on the new Halloween. I can totally, oh, I can man. see that. I can see that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing also, as I know he's he is in a point right now in his career where he is just touring, playing music mm-hmm. with his kids, having mm-hmm. fun. I'd love to see him direct again, but at the same time... If he goes on tour again, that'd be cool too. Yes, yes of course. Absolutely. Either way, I'll be checking it out regardless. Um, but I'm just, I'm just happy to see him smiling at yeah. this point. Oh yeah, which is probably the best thing in the world. Well, I mean, like think about it, and to completely go on a different diatribe away from the movies, but I mean, John, when he talks about some of his movies, he thought, and some of them that were bombs, like The Thing that has had this resurgence, like John talks about it in interviews, he's never expected to have the kind of resurgence and kind of acclaim that he has earned. And so it's, and he's enjoying it. He's very clearly just enjoying this reputation he's built. And so it's fun to watch. He's, it's just to see him genuinely smile. It's just the thing of, it'll warm the, the hardest heart. It, it's great. <laughs> well, we're going to transition from uh, street toughs to uh, Satan uh, regarding our sieges. We're sending a message from the future. <laughs> we're we're going to get all into it here, but we're going from, and what's really cool also with Carpenter 3 is we got a nice representation of 70s, 80s, and 90s as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And this came from what I like to call the punk rock Carpenter age. 
1987's Prince of Darkness. Oh, such a good one. Yes. Ty, again, what was your kind of experience with Prince of Darkness? So I mentioned it a little bit off air uh, before we started, but when I originally first saw Prince of Darkness, I I don't know if I was in the wrong headspace for it or what, but I just, I wasn't prepared for it. I was like, well, that was okay, I that guess. That was a movie. Yeah, I'm no. like... I, I loved the weirdness of it, but I was like, I almost wished they had like pushed the boundaries of weirdness. But now mm-hmm. like when I revisit it and I watch it again, I've probably seen it through like five times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's in the middle of my uh, my watching for the three movies we're talking about. The uh, number three is the one I have watched the most. Yeah, me too. Uh, but uh, upon a revisit, there's so much weird stuff that I didn't notice the first time. And just the way the music kicks in, the way there's just, it has the deepest lore and backstory of yeah. any of Carpenter's movies. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, they talk about, like, since the dawn of fucking time and, like, how, like, the church is all a scam <laughs> and just, like, all sorts of stuff. This is, like, I'm not saying you need to be intellectual, but if you're drunk watching this or not really paying attention, you're not going to get the story. Carpenter himself has said it's straight gobbledygook. Yes. It's basically looking into, like, what the F do you know? And then applying it with a horror filter. And I'll be honest, that's the reason I love this film so much. Mm -hmm. I think what really gave me a deeper appreciation on a rewatch, to give a little peek behind the curtain, uh, when I watched it for this one, I I had been on call and uh, I was awake for... 20 hours at this point when I started it and I did I did this and our third movie back to back oh my god oh wow and uh this was about this one started at about 2 a.m and I was just I was in the prime headspace for it and I was just like just wash over me with all this weirdness and lore and just Bugs. mythos that you've built <laughs> I think that might be the proper headspace yeah. for a movie yeah. like this because you kind of want I always would like to like program this in a 24-hour marathon but this would be kind of the put it in the space where people are kind of falling asleep and like zoning in and out and i think i mentioned this and when we talked about it in the mouth of march madness but i would love the idea of someone waking up right with one of those dream scene sequences <laughs> this is and, not a dream and when i say someone making up that would be me and i would be like oh my god like all hail it would drive. It would just scare the bejesus out of me. You turn around, I look like I got like the girl, just with all the weird shit all over my face. Her gradual regression throughout that movie, it's it's genuinely scary. In oh, fact, yeah, there's that is. scene when she sees herself in the mirror and she's like, mm-hmm. or when the thing's trying to get out of her and it's growing in her. Yeah, that's some good scares, and there's some good humor in it too. And Dennis some... Dunn is just watching this whole transformation happen through a grate. Dennis Dunn is the fucking best he, well and this is what's funny what you talk about the carpenter players at this point yeah. we've got an established trope mm-hmm. we're really only missing like kurt russell um maybe just a handful because buck flowers <laughs> that's the okay that's what i wanted to mention there is no buck flower in this film and that is a shame because we are this dealing was the perfect film yep. to put buck yep. flower in yep yep this would if it wasn't for alice cooper it would have been buck flower that's what i was wondering i wonder did alice cooper snake a job from, from buck, buck flower goddamn rock and roller jumping around <laughs> i'm gonna piss in his makeup what i'm gonna do you know just like fucking all pissed off maybe he was like i don't know i'm gonna sneak on the set he pulled a richard stanley and like fucking <laughs> and he was in the, one of the homeless the people. Homeless people thing. They'll never know. Perfect Buck, this guy. Buckflower just you will not be saved by your god plutonium. 
That is a message from the future, goddammit. I live, I live, I live. It's a it, when I was looking back and putting down notes, I was like, I was like, wait a minute, that is the perfect, yeah, perfect the, Buck Flower the Buck roll. vehicle. <laughs> it is. I wonder maybe if he and John had like a little falling out in '86 or something right tired after Big your Trouble. Shit. I'm tired of your shit, goddammit. Because <laughs> soon he'd be back in the fold again. Uh, but also here we get Peter Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get oh friggin' uh, egg egg Shen, egg Shen. which. Yes. And him playing opposite Donald Pleasance. Right. They get a chance to, and, and they're kind of hamming up on both ends, but it works really well. Victor Wan, so good in the Carpenter movies. Well, they, they, balance, the, they balance the idea of science versus faith so well. And, like, Donald Pleasance is the perfect guy for this, like, grizzled, old, crazy priest. He, I prayed I was, for him six times. <laughs> uh, well, I thought about that when uh, when he is hacking at her when she's going through the mirror. I chopped her six times. <laughs> but it, it, I will say it is the most reserved performance I think we've seen from Donald Pleasance in a Carpenter movie. Which is kind of nice. Yes. Just to mm-hmm. know he can reel it in control because ultimately when he throws the axe and everything, he is ah! kind of... I, I was hoping that we were going to see the uh, patented... We've uh, We've coined a term on our show, the Loomis Lunge. Where he kind of winds up before he starts running. <laughs> now, now, now. There, by the time he gets to like part four, he is so unhinged. Oh yeah, and Looney Tunes, Looney like, Loomis, Looney, Looney Loomis. It's uh, God rest his soul too, because yeah. he adds an element of class to these. And that's what's funny with these genre films. If you don't maybe have the level of character actors yeah. that you do, you might get a different film. Because mm-hmm. like you mentioned, there's so much weird gobbledygook in this film. But also, it comes down to some kind of standard like slasher tropes at the mm-hmm. very end. People in the house yeah. and like an outside and force. Again, it's another kind of siege movie. It's totally a siege mm-hmm. film. And that's what's funny. And that was the best thing in terms of it playing after Assault on Precinct. Because you had a siege by Street Tufts versus a siege from Satan at this point. And then and bums. And, yeah. And the homeless. Yeah. Oh, you know, you they've actually um, screened that movie in that same church. Oh, in, my God. Oh, that'd be rad. That would be amazing. Even funnier, the fact that John Carpenter lives there. Sandy came out and did a Q&A because I think the L.A. Lakers were playing that night and John didn't <laughs> want to come out. The Lakers are playing tonight. <laughs> he never misses and a game. He never misses a game. He is the Clarence Boddicker. Of the horror the world, he's, just, he's a homer, yes. man. I there love it. There we go. Um, no, like I said, a cavalcade of... Now, I'm curious with... Uh, who is our guy with the mustache? That would be one... Oh, not Tom Atkins. R- no, no, Ron Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was. That's Ron Atkins. Because you can imagine maybe Kurt Russell in that role. Yes. I can imagine Tom Atkins in that role. Because he'd, he'd bang that, that young college girl. He's a graduate-level student. You know what I'm that saying? That can happen. Exactly. That can happen. Yeah, he's now, an alternative student. Now, speaking of people we can imagine in certain roles, there is one person here that I pictured this entire time while watching this movie. And is I could, if Greg really just let the mullet go, he could be that one scientist. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's a, I, I'm, watching, I'm like, man, this is... 
This is perfect. This is who I'm seeing this entire time. Around 1987, I was probably in the midst of growing the mullet out. So it was, uh, <laughs> you know, stretching out new boundaries. It's like, what's the back of this neck here? <laughs> Dude, you wouldn't be in that thing for long. You'd be like, all right, here's the equipment. Oh, bye. You know, <laughs> as soon as shit started to get ill, as soon as you saw that like hobo street army tough yep. on the corner and weird shit or like the crucified pigeon, you'd be out. You'd be out. You would be like, I'm done. Fuck you guys. This movie has taught me a lot of things, I will say. But ultimately, it's really funny. Um, I, I, my apologies if you guys know this story. But this movie had a kind of a seminal point in my life that I really think kind of uh, handicapped me from my teenage popularity experiences. Did it stunt your social growth? <laughs> so I somehow got invited to... Uh, a party, and by a party, it's just like some people hanging out, but it was of my betters, if you will. People that were more popular with me, and I'm only there by, like, extension of being a friend of a friend of a friend. Now, some reason or another, when we went to the local Blockbuster video, they knew that I loved movies. Like, oh, Greg, like, the Mikey, if you will. Like, Greg will pick something out. And so, I knew that was kind of a big moment. Like, oh, you know, if I sh show something really cool, next level... Gonna be, this guy's rad. Like, you know, we want him back. You know, he's fun. Like, it's a weird, challenging movie. And I chose Prince of Darkness. <laughs> Needless to say, I was never invited back to these parties and get-togethers. <laughs> and I kind of cemented my status as, oh, yeah, An no. anti-party god. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, like, that's not the worst thing in the world because I... I have a Serbian film. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna watch this. What? Hey, what kind of party is it? Ain't hey, a baby shower. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. My apologies to all of our more sensitive audience members <laughs> that know that connection with a Serbian film. Again, uh, Greg D does not condone any actions by one genius McGee. But uh, but yeah. So at a uh, at a friend's bachelor party. They're like, Ty, you're the big movie guy. Like we had been remains of the day. <laughs> we had we had had drinks all day, and they're like, uh -huh. they're they're amped. They're like, Ty, you're the big movie guy. Like, pick us some, pick us a good movie to watch. And we're feeling like an action movie. And I'm like, okay, Escape from New York is on Netflix. Oh. I forgot how glacially paced. Not that a really movie. an action film. Yeah. There's very little action that in. Did they now? Did they revolt against you? They did. Oh, oh man. Bless you. We're like, what is this? Yeah, there were so many. What the fuck is this? And I'm like, it's oh, just, man. just keep waiting. It's Kurt Russell. It's John Carpenter. And then you got everybody all drunk and ready. Oh, like, oh yeah. When in doubt, John Wick. Yep. Whenever you're dealing yep. with somebody drunk and like, we want action. John Wick or Predator yes. can't go wrong. In, and I don't want to say it's a thinking man's action film because it's really not. It's just more of a post-apocalyptic right. kind of escape. It's story-driven. It's more story-driven. Not saying that like John Wick and all the other ones aren't story-driven, but there's a lot of shit going on in there. Mm -hmm. Like, like I wouldn't show Doomsday to the drunken crowd. While it's super fucking dope and it's great action, that's kind of another you got to pay attention because you can get lost our buddy adonis totally turned against that film i saw that film get turned against and i was enjoying the trip and he's like this is this is horrible like what is this and i'm like oh okay <laughs> and another one that i understand if you don't like it i get why you don't like it but i get why you do because it's fucking rad <laughs> now this one actually does feature uh, what i think is kind of my favorite score just top to bottom mm -hmm. with carpenter uh i think this kind of places behind big trouble in little china which is why we've been listening to it in the background uh, from the main theme, uh, just to the atmosphere, it just, again, with a good Carpenter score, it becomes a character in the film. And I think this one gives you a wonderful character. 
Well, I think this one, like, this score describes the movie just by listening to it because you have the, like, dilly, 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 and then the... Yep. So it, it is this, like, sci-fi and religious film, and it ref- it reflects both of those in the mm-hmm. score itself. So I'm curious at this point, because like I said, this is when, after the, technically the commercial failure of Big Trouble in Little China, and this was, and I, you know, Carpenter himself said he did not have a good time making that. It was good with Kurt, but just mm-hmm. with all the, the issues he ran into and not knowing how to market it, he went back to kind of the independent roots. Like I said, this is punk rock Carpenter. Oh, this yeah. is that period, this, this three films that he did in this area that were just next level, mm-hmm. like so freaking good. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of harkens back to the fact that he is at his heart just an independent filmmaker and then having maybe those restrictions adds and creates this just weird ass movie that still to me scares to this day it is a message from the future i mean like (laughs) well and as we mentioned that's the thing with carpenter films there are a lot of them are ahead of their times yeah and it takes a while for audiences to catch up with them and sometimes you alienate people. I would like to think there's a Rashomon version of that story somewhere <laughs> where maybe someone was inspired by that. Like, I feel bad for that kid we isolated. But, you know, I went back and saw some other Carpenter films and they were OK. Yeah, you maybe, know? maybe you know, like, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I should have gave that movie a second try. You know, like I seen it once somewhere like, man, I saw it once at this party, man. That movie's bullshit. And there's someone like. No, dude, you should give it another try, man. I don't know, man. That guy said he knew about movies, <laughs> right? No, give it a try. He probably knows what he's talking about. And then they saw it and like, you know what? Maybe he does. Maybe Nerdlinger was right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like... My bra bombs always work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to sometimes trust the scientist. You so, know? You, you mentioned that this is one that still... It can scare to this day. And there are two things that really, like... It's so eerie. And it two things that really resonate with me. One is just a line when they're all like trying to figure out what's happening. And then the one character, this is one I can't remember anybody's name in, uh, but one of the, uh, one of the women there, she's like, well, then it really is old scratch knocking at the door. Like that is such just an, an omen. Especially I, I I've mentioned it many times on the podcast. I grew up Catholic. Yes. So same. Any, okay, good. And yep. it, any time you get kind of a mention of that and I'll say this in the eighties, there was that big satanic panic. So anytime mm-hmm. you could ride on the coattails of that, you're adding, if you grew up in that era, Ooh, well, my, plus you're in a creepy church, which is yes. sacrilege. You know what I'm saying? Cause I grew up Catholic too. And mm-hmm. like, you don't do anything ill yeah. in the church. Like everything just feels wrong. Yeah. And I think the biggest like perversion of like the typical thing is kind of what this movie is. Yeah. Uh, which kind of leads into the other, like not necessarily a scare, but one of the creepiest moments in any Carpenter film is the amazing grace scene. Oh, that's when, always he, tough. when he's just walking up the stairs, mm-hmm. like he like he's not in control and just singing and just laughing and crying, and then he just stabs or stabs or slashes oh, with, with the, the, wood. the banister. Yeah, pole. yeah, it's, that's it, hardcore. It's truly savage. And there's that bit where you can tell he's struggling with himself. Mm-hmm. Like I think his it was, eyes are crying, but his mouth is smiling. Yeah, and yeah, it's that's genuinely creepy. Yeah, no, there's some moments, and I I get that. I think pacing is a little bit off on this one i think if you're enraptured in the story though there's still enough good scares yeah and for me it's the sense of dread that he inspires it's not so much necessarily jump scares but it's that growing sensation of fear 
and the fact that technically it's all scratch it's lucifer it's yeah. beelzebub mm-hmm. it's mephistopheles it's all of these things that scared me when you see in those dreams you get that kind of classic figure in a like a black cloak mm-hmm. just the outlines of it to that's what's seared and then in the my reveal. brain the final dream mm. sequence yeah actually that last shot of susan as the this basically is the like the, the gateway is closing up behind her and you get those brief flashes of white that's haunting yeah it is. it's messed up too you can also pl- uh, we talked about playing the drinking game on uh anybody got to smoke you can also play a game on where's susan yeah who, <laughs> who? <laughs> that the the researcher. Well, there's oh. a, there's always little weird bits of levity in Carpenter's films. Sometimes they just grow organically, and like Dennis Dunn's character, Dennis Dunn's hilarious <laughs> he's in so this one. Funny. Yeah, he's, he is. Just just a horn dog, and just always talking shit too. Just always talking shit. <laughs> and didn't someone mention he also kind of had an AC Slater look yeah, he as did. well with yeah, his he wardrobe? Did. 87, 86, another time. Another place. Now, is like I said, this is one of those films that still ultimately ends into my top five. Because my top three, right off the bat, The Thing, Halloween, and... Uh, the Thing, Halloween, and... Ooh, okay. Yeah, never... Okay, I, I can't mm-hmm. see. It changes so often. There's just certain things. But for me, it's definitely worthy of being top five. Mine's... So my, my three have to be Big Trouble in Little China. That's... There it is. Halloween... And then the thing. Those okay, are, there it is. Those are going to be my permanent top three. But you get into that four to six range, and oh, that's, it's, it's fluctuating. I think my permanent top three uh, is the thing, Halloween, and the next movie. And the next film. Yeah. Again, I mentioned we went through two thirds of the Apocalypse trilogy, and dare we, you know, we we do promote literacy here on the <laughs> podcast. So we opened up the next film with a simple question: Do you read Santa Kane? And we had a nice mixture again. Again, and you know what the cool thing about it is? Yep. Okay, so when we when we talked about how three quarters of the mo- of the theater did not see any of the movies, and that's true, but it was a different three quarters for each one. It was a nice. Like, there yeah. was a really good balance. Mm-hmm. So everybody was seeing at least one or two Carpenter movies for their very first time, except us hardcore people. But, and know. well, and what's great with this one is this recently got a uh, Scream Factory Blu-ray release. Yes. We are talking in the mouth of madness, and this is another one that I will say from the bat for me this is Carpenter's last great masterpiece yes. for me at least for I me I will agree with that he's got some ones that I really enjoy that he did after this but for Ghost in terms of, of fucking Mars I, w- I will say I do I do respect uh, and acknowledge vampires which <laughs> is problematic talking about the oh god yes it's, incredibly problematic but I liked vampires I, I did like vampires. It's also almost as close to a Western as we've gotten from uh, Carpenter. Yeah. Space and, Western. Yeah. Like Oblivion. Oh, yeah, go, goes to my, yeah. And you're going to, I know there are dozens of you out there, about as many as our listeners. But you know what turned me off from Ghost of Mars was just those weird wipes that have never existed in a Carpenter film. And it took me out of it. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't, maybe that's because I'm petty. But no, <laughs> um, this one came out in 92. Yeah, in which this one. I love is that much like Wes Craven, you know, Carpenter was able to cement his signi- signature style in the 70s, 80s, and 90s mm-hmm. to just kind of show how someone that just has his longevity exists and it stays relevant. And this is one of those films that is definitely divisive. So, Ty, what is your experience, thoughts on In the Mouth of Madness? So, this is similar to Prince of Darkness for me because when I watched it for the very first time, I watched it the day after 
I watched Prince of Darkness and I was like, okay, I'm going to give this one a shot since I wasn't like initially totally high on Prince of Darkness. And I, I tried this one again. I was like, what have I, what have I done? And then I like, I let it, I let it breathe and I revisited it cause I wanted to watch it again. So I came back to it a week later and watching it again, I was like, this is phenomenal. This is, this is a wonderful piece of like Lovecraftian fiction, really touching on like the unknowable, mm-hmm. the, like we are not in control of our own fate and really like looking for those themes throughout it. It, it hit for me so much more than it did initially. It's, we mentioned before, is it, is it thinking man's horror? This one, because I've mentioned that I've know some horror fans whose opinions I, you know, put a lot of stock in do not like this film. Yeah. It's so weird. I mean, it's another existential think piece. I don't know if it's thinking man's horror, but it's definitely one that with most of John Carpenter movies, you need to pay attention. This is not, I think the problem with the party one was none of John Carpenter's movies are background movies. No, they really are. You know what I'm saying? They're not passive movies. Yeah, no, you have to actually sit and savor a John Carpenter film. And that is how I treated it the first time I watched this. I was like... You know, that was right when I was getting started with grad school, things like that. I had it in the background while I was working on classes, and I was like, I, yeah. I just wasn't feeling it. And then I, I gave it my full attention because I was like, yeah, Carpenter deserves more respect than this. I'll, I'll do it again. And then just fell in love with the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's what's nice is, again, with the, the material is only as good as the characters, and the fact that he works with Sam Neill again, who yes. I think recently he, the movie before was Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Uh, Sam Neill was in that. And so the fact that you get Sam Neill, who, and he's, you know, got his DNA all over genre films yes. from Possession to Event Horizon. And I think, if I remember correctly, he was just coming off the heels of Jurassic Park. He, and so I think he was getting ready. He was for getting Jurassic ready for that because I think getting that came a year it. after. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which is awesome. The fact that you've got friggin' Doctor Grant from in this Spielberg film in this think in this really cool little Lovecraftian Carpenter film mm-hmm. a year that's why he's awesome like yeah the absolutely dude gets it. and uh, quick plug of Terror Tuesdays at Alamo Event mm-hmm. Horizon is coming up soon which uh, I haven't run down my uh, my top horror of all time but Event Horizon is one of those I still say the dopest a uh, dope double feature with the Sam Neill double feature yes. with Event Horizon and, and in the Mouth of Madness that'd be fucking rad it's you could add you know the possession as a triple there's so many things that you could do with <laughs> Sam Neill two. <laughs> that, no, I believe that is actually Omen to Damien. No, he's in the third, third one, one. The That's final right. conflict, I believe. That's right. Play, yeah, it's, it's actually oddly prescient on that one. <laughs> uh, but no, what I like about this film is, like you said, it makes you think, and mm-hmm. ultimately, it's a whole tale of you know what makes our reality. Again, if the crazy were in the majority, we'd be the the crazy ones. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because everything is foreshadowed within, I think, like the first like five minutes of the film. Yeah. Which it, you start at the mm-hmm. end of the movie, and you have to, and it, which I kind of think rewards your we watch, like it begs you to go back and watch it again yeah. to see. Okay, why was he just like scrawling crosses all over this uh, this padded cell? Like, why? Like he seems With so his magic crayon, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that can draw on skin somehow. Uh, but he like he uh, you believe him when he's saying I'm not crazy. Like mm-hmm. there is there's a genuineness to it and you want to figure out what led to this point. And then when you rewatch it and starting with, Oh, just 
Burner. Yep, the, <laughs> yep. The Prince of Darkness score just hit in the background, and it's phenomenal. Uh, but there's there's just so much rewarded. Like Sam Neill gives a fantastic performance, mm-hmm. and it it needs to be acknowledged. Like that's what makes this movie work. And the ending, I love the ending. That's an iconic for me. Mm-hmm. That's an iconic scene right there. Yeah, and only played better in a theater. Yes, mm-hmm. when and then just the way it wrapped up. And also, I will say this: one great thing with Carpenter Fest three is all three films ninety minutes and under. Yes, yes. I had a one time. I had a dream that was very in the mouth of madness, Ian. I, I dreamt that I was watching myself going into a movie theater, sitting down, and then watching my dream. It was so vivid and That's so creepy. real, That's and it wild. freaked me the fuck out. And I was like, maybe I'm reading Sutter Kane, you know? Like, I, I was just waiting to wake up, and everything's blue, you know? <laughs> just, ah! God, on that note, I did... So this was... The second of my back-to-back double feature while I was incredibly oh sleep goodness. deprived. So all yeah, that's and I was in the part like once he leaves uh, Hobbs End, I was starting to drift in and out, and I was like, "Oh, this is the yeah, hoodoo!" Like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. I'll tell you what that growing up movies put a lot of fear. I mean, different inspirations of fear. I mean, whether it be chuds and whatnot, but a new fear I have are kids on fucking bicycles while I'm driving. Mm-hmm. That is some scary shit. If you've seen that, especially like, oh, like what happened to you? Oh, uh, so I'm going to his house at one point and I know several ways to get over to his place. And, uh, you know, you're on the Kansas City, Kansas side. I'm on Kansas City, Missouri side. Well, it just so happened that my gas tank was like beyond empty. It was flashing. I'm like, no worries. I know where there's a gas station on the way to his place. So I'm driving. And at this point, I should say, I, I don't necessarily fall in line with the, the geniuses to the severity of it, I should say. Of, you know, if you, I don't, I'll, I avoid grates every now and again now, you know, just with that in mind. But occasionally you'll see something and you'll automatically mm-hmm. remind it. But I kind of like with you, if I see little kids on bikes while I'm driving, I'm always just like, you. that's kind of creepy, blah. So I'm driving down there and sure enough, I pass a kid on a bike. So immediately I have that reaction. The seed is planted. So I'm driving along. The, the, fl- the gas is flashing empty. I get to the normal gas station and all the pumps are not working. <sighs> and I'm like, oh, this is kind of a bummer. And I was like, you know, no, it's okay. It's okay. A little bit ahead is another gas station. I'm still good. But I'm starting to get a little nervous because I haven't really let this car at this point go all that. I, so I don't know how far I can go with it flashing. And I get to the next gas station. It's closed. And this is not a time for it to be closed. And I start not again. I'm not panicking so much. <laughs> and I was still fresh enough to your area where I was like, OK, I know if I turn right, I'm eventually going to get to this main street and I'm going to run into a gas station. No worries. So I turn right into this suburb that I'm not familiar with. And I come across to one of those friggin' like little like turn areas, and somehow or another, I I get lost in this little area, and I'm like, okay, just kind of in my head, I'm like, huh, wouldn't it be funny if I'm somehow like I'm going through that repeated cycle, Hobbs in, oh scary, ah, but I'm also kind of panicking a little because I'm I don't want to run out of gas. That's embarrassing. I try calling you and I can't get a hold of you. I send you a text, I can't get a hold of you. And when that happens, I start panicking a little bit more going, <laughs> oh, am I out, like, out of like out of dimension or something? <laughs> I'm panicking at this point now because it's probably five minutes goes by and I'm still lost. I'm like, how is this happening? Like, I've heard of people getting lost in the suburbs, but this is horrible. I finally see this cross street. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's it. I'm safe. I'm good. I'm whatever. I turn on my blinker sign, go to take a right. 
who crosses my oh. path again. Yep. <laughs> little kid on the bike. Little kid on the bike. Oh, my God. He's uh, all old now. <laughs> and, like, for point point zero 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 one percent I was like, oh, my God, I am. And yeah. I am so in Hobbs and Like, I'm in a Sutter Kane novel. Thankfully, I found a gas station. I finally got reception. I'm like, I need to get to your house. Like, how do I, how was this happening? It was so freaky. But it's the power of a film like this that plants that seed in your head. Yep. Oh, and yeah. makes you think stupid things. <laughs> oh, that was frightening. That was so scary. Oh, little kids on bikes and getting lost in that. It was right? just the perfect combination. But yet. Mm, and I, I don't trust old ladies at hotel desks either. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't trust them. B&B, Airbnb, my ass, man. You're going to want. I, that's one thing. I don't want to wind up in a place I don't know. I wind up in Hobbs End. That's, yeah. always, a, that's <laughs> always another fear of mine. We're like going on road trips and shit. Like, let's stop this small town. No. Well, the effects is, is done by K&B, mm-hmm. which is all the. I What I really like about this is kind of the melding of the kind of the digital mm-hmm. and the practical effects. Yeah. Where they worked with each other, like mm-hmm. there were some limitations on the film, obviously. But and the cool thing about the effects, they're really, really great. But when the the monsters, but you never really see them. Yeah, you got little bits and flash because, mm-hmm. as it would with like a Lovecraftian monster, if you sustained your glance on it, you'd lose your mind. Yeah, exactly. and I I love it. Just it gives you bits and pieces of it unless you fill in the gaps there on your own. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're, this has some really, really effective scares in it. Like you were talking about the kid on the bike, but also little kids in general in this movie. When they're chasing the dog? Yeah. And just the, it's mommy's day. Oh, that, yeah. Oh, oh, and then when you've Ooh. got the three-legged dog. That's that so sad. It's, it's messed up. horrible. That's something I never really noticed until like the big screen watch. And I'm like, oh no, those kids did something to that dog. And the fact that actually the church, that's an actual church. That's mm-hmm. a real place, and that's what I love. You get that they maybe did a matte painting behind it, but man, there's just the that's pretty sensational. And Sutter Kane himself, mm-hmm. he's wonderful. He is so good in that in that role. Was Jurgen? Oh, he's perfect. Yeah. yeah, he's and adds a layer again. Not a Stephen King character, but someone that's like, I'm in. I'm just a vessel for the old ones, mm-hmm. which in and of itself is frightening. And yeah. I think this is probably one of my first. Like, references into the old ones and that whole Lovecraftian mythos. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that it's, for some reason, and I think it is because of the unknowable nature of the old ones and things like that, but for some reason, it is so difficult for a good, not even good, but, like, adequate interpretation of it uh, put to film. Because there's so many times it's tried and it, like, just barely misses the mark. Uh, Banshee Chapter is a very good example of that it's super eerie and creepy uh it has uh buffalo bill doing his best hunter s thompson impression uh throughout the entire movie uh would you do drugs with me basically that's exactly what it is i can't stop here it's bad country and it's it dives into dmt and number stations and lovecraft and Hmm. at one point basically just reads off the wikipedia page for from beyond uh but it's it's a fun little watch and it, kind of in the same like weird reality like beings from another side type thing. Buffalo Bill and Dr. Petarius. Oh Jesus Christ. Uh, essentially, Would yeah. You trim a machine. <laughs> That's a van you don't want to end up in. No, like, no. That is quite awful. No. <laughs> Your eyes about a size 14, right? <laughs> <laughs> um 
the, the again communal experience we had someone in the audience that you talk about lovecraft and mythos but local writer oren gray and the audience was nice to give him a shout out but has done some phenomenal work uh short stories with lovecrafty and make sure you go and check that out i believe he would just put one out called grand gunol i was gonna say i actually don't believe i've read his stuff yet so i really really need to get on that but... and like i said we like to plug but stay yeah. local when we can and it's always nice when and that was one of his favorite films and he had mentioned he's like you know I've, I've seen it a bazillion times at home, but just seeing it in a theater mm-hmm. with folks, there's such a, there's a charm to it mm-hmm. and just everyone reacting and just having fun. And again, what the, the, what the effery of it adds to it. Cause I think when the, the, uh, the agent busts through the thing with the thing and the, with the ax at the beginning, Sutter Kane, I think mm-hmm. I saw people like, Whoa, jump down in their seats. Like, ah, because he's an imposing figure coming at you full force, and, and that's I, a great shot. I love that shot because the the scene is existing regardless, regardless of if he's of there what's or going not. On. And, yeah. and then he's just approaching in the background, and it doesn't change the setup. And mm-hmm. you're just like, is is this guy going to stop? Like, somebody please pay attention to this guy. And then he just busts through the window. It's so effective. It sets everything up. And this also has a great cast. Juliet Car- Julie Carmen in this. Being crazy scary when she comes oh, out of the yeah. car upside down. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> between this and Fright Night 2 had a nice little run with the genre films. Uh, also, Charlton Heston showing up, giving some gravitas yeah. to a Carpenter film. Yep. Get your filthy tentacles off. <laughs> Damn, dirty old one. <laughs> Just. <laughs> but also what I think what's interesting with this film is talking about it coming from the 90s is the main theme decidedly different from a lot of Carpenter stuff. This one comes off more as a rock tune. So this, uh, this movie is when he started working with Cody, right? Mm. I'm trying to, I know he and Alan Haworth, they, I'd have to look at it again. They still collaborated for quite a bit. It wasn't probably until Ghost of Mars, potentially, that he probably got into that a little bit more. Because this one, and I said this, you know, when we were talking about it, this is my favorite of his live at this point, is In the Mouth of Madness, that theme. Because it plays so much like a rocker, Mm -hmm. and when you see him with a five-piece band, they can rock out. But also the score itself, beyond the main theme, is more of a traditional orchestral orchestral mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. nice going away from the synth so you have quite a few different things yeah, it, in this it film. definitely is a departure but it like it shows he is a master of his craft yeah. like it, filmmaking and music just it is it's so different but the elements of what makes him good are all there and that's what I think was nice with throughout the evening is you saw a progression, if you will. Yeah, you did. Of his filmmaking, why it's so, why we still celebrate his work so many years later, why it works for young, it works for old. Uh, seeing a lot of those films for the first time, seeing them from fresh perspectives, that's why it's so much fun to revisit those. And especially, again, when you can see it with a crowd like that. Mm-hmm. And they were just so much, they made the night so much fun. Just jumping up and yelling for the trivia, just having a good time. And we were able to, we passed out some candy cigarettes, and we did give Ty, you know, we yes, are bad I have been, uh, I've been succumbing to the addiction over here. <laughs> And just really working my way through this entire box of candy <laughs> cigarettes. So I guess uh, final thoughts on In the Mouth of Madness? It's one that it's hard to describe, but it's one that I think above all uh, across any of Carpenter's works, if you don't like this movie, it is the one I'm going to tell you to revisit and give another chance. Because I think it is the most likely for you to change your opinion and get something out of it that you did not get beforehand. Uh, the pacing is very good, and which I struggled with in Prince of Darkness the first time. 
Uh, but this, giving this one a rewatch, the pacing just really drew me in, and it lets you, kind of lets you fall into this weird world that he's building. Yeah, once you get into Hobbs mm-hmm. End, mm-hmm. you're in for a ride, and it yep. doesn't stop until he's laughing at the very end. Which is still such a great ending and an iconic scene for me, just that like, <laughs> just laughing in the theater knowing that the world's about to just fucking explode and like i said scream factory just put out an excellent blu-ray and we talked we were talking off mic i've been good this year not going because <laughs> there's just so many blue but that's one of those that i saw it announced i'm like oh my god because i think john and sandy put a new car uh, commentary track on it so i'm glad to see him and i'd love to hear him revisit now that he yes. knows it has an audience to see his reaction to the film see what he thinks of the film itself because like i said for me it's the last great carpenter film I will agree. I will agree with as much yeah, as, I, I as much as much love as I give Ghost to Mars. It's not a great film. It's nowhere in the same par with In the Mouth of Madness. It it has its place. It has its place. Mm-hmm. So, Ty, thank you so much, man, Thank for you coming guys by for and, having me. It's mm-hmm. been a well, hell of a time. I'm, it's it's a shame you couldn't have been there. You know, during Carpenter Fest three, yes. but you know, one way or another, and that's what I love about these films is you get then we get to have you on and talk about them regardless. Yeah. You get to revisit them. So again, tell our listeners where can they find you out on the social media? Uh, so you can go ahead and find us at WTHITF Pod on Twitter, and you can search for us on SoundCloud and iTunes uh, just by searching "Who the Hell Is This For." I will plug if you do leave us a review and tell us a movie you want us to review, we will do that for you. So uh, that's we've had a lot of fun with that. Some of the suggestions we've gotten. That's how we did Angels in the Outfield. That's how we ended up doing Hateful Eight. Uh, we've we've had a ton of fun uh, getting this podcast set up. And I do again like thank you guys for being the kind of guys you are and doing what you do and making us want to make our own podcast and get started. Well, and like I said, I really want to celebrate the fact that Kansas City has some really cool podcasts. In we the do, area, and I didn't and... realize that until I started. I. I got going with this and then like immediately people are reaching out. There's this network building that I didn't even know was there. So it's Kansas City's in a really cool spot. Just like art creatively. Like there's so much going on here right now. It's 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 just kind of a, a thriving hotbed of geek culture. You know, take advantage of it. Like I said, we always talk about, you know, if you're in the Midwest area, there's some good excuses there's to come down on exactly. a weekend exactly, and check out everything. So you know, as we're kicking off 2019, thanks again, Ty. Thank uh, you. So until uh, next time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Yeah.